From the bathroom in the back of the quick stop, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who aren't even supposed to be here today, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, what, what's Oops, that sound? Sorry. Was that you making that sound? <laughs> yes. Oh, you idiot. Another, another great opening, Bob. Who was that? David Laura. Excellent. Or Lara. Either way. We like that. Whichever. Yeah, whichever. David, David Laura, David Lara. Thank you, David. Good opening. I don't know what the Quick Stop reference is. Well, Quick Stop is like a uh, convenience store. I know. I don't, I don't get the movie reference, but oh. it's okay. It's all good. So we're back. Uh, hold on. Before Mark knocks over all of our television DVDs here. I don't know what you're doing. You're making noise. You're making problems. What, what are you doing? Quick Stop is a convenience store. Yeah, or over that. 100 stores in Northern California and Northern Nevada. That's lovely. Um, Mark, last week we had a contest. We were giving away three DVDs. Wait, actually it turns out that's a Silent Bob and uh, Jay uh, uh, there reference. there we go. Okay. And that's why I didn't know what it was because I don't like Silent yeah. Bob or Jay or Kevin well, Smith or that, that drug addict who plays the other guy. That, I, I'm going to say last week we had a good giveaway. The week before that we had a great giveaway. Last week we had a good giveaway. This week, amazing giveaway. Right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, here's the giveaway this week. Uh, we gave away three DVDs for Predators. We got a lot of uh, unbelievable response. response for that. Unbelievable response, and three uh, three very deserving winners that we chose before the show. We didn't do it by drawing. We did it a little slightly different method. We're just having fun with different methods here. I randomly sorted all the emails. Gave Mark. Uh, I said pick a, pick three numbers. He chose three numbers, and here are our winners. First winner of a DVD of Predators is Obed Casillas of El Mirage, Arizona. Congratulations, Obed. Second winner is Brian Eskelson of Edmonds, Washington. Congratulations, Brian. Brian wrote, love the podcast. Makes my drive to work manageable once a week. Happy to do so. And finally, Camille Turner of Fairfax, Virginia. Congratulations, Camille. Camille Schlamazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. That's great. Now she'll never listen to the show again because you just sang her name. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, that was our giveaway and congratulations to all three of you. Your names and addresses have already been sent off to the 20th century Fox people who are being just awesome for us with giveaways. They will be sending it to you straight away. Any problem? Call us, email us, gods at digigods.com. And, uh, we will straighten it out. Shouldn't be any problems though. They're, they're pretty good about that. Getting on top of that immediately. And then our giveaway for this week, Mark. We have another giveaway? We have another giveaway. What is it? We're giving away... Three copies of what we're going to be reviewing today. Now, are you sure about that? Yeah. I squared it away, man. We should give away two copies. Okay. So you can get that. It's a cutie. You should shoot your little Marky. Yes. Well, um, no, I, I confirmed it. I confirmed it with them. When they, they offered it to me, I was like, really? You sure? So, okay. Anyway, what we're giving away are three Alien Anthology Blu-ray sets. That literally is like the greatest giveaway I know, it's unbelievable, in podcasting right? history. It is. It's unbelievable. We're giving away three Alien Anthology Blu-ray sets. 
It's phenomenal. I don't even know where to begin. That is like the most amazing thing. Um, here's what you do straight away, and we're gonna we're gonna be taking these uh, all the way through Thursday night, midnight Thursday Pacific time. Just send an email. Put alien in the subject. Don't no funny spelling. Just a l i e n alien in the subject, and your name and address in the body of the email. Send it to gods at digigods.com, and uh, next week we will select the winners. So what you're saying is. That Thursday, I guess we should give people the date. Yes, that, well, that you would be always nice. Make of us. me do that. I'm I'm not a calendar person. Well, you Thursday have to Thursday would be the 16th. No, what am I saying? Wrong month. Where we, am we, I? We, we we got it all figured out here on the big show. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm But a, the point is, is that uh, the Alien Anthology is unbelievable. Now we'll talk. Thursday about is it. the 28th. The 28th. So October Thursday, 28th. So Thursday, October 28th, by yes. midnight Pacific time. Let's just say 11.59 Pacific Time, 11.59 yes. p.m. Pacific Time. You've got to have your email into us at gods at digigods.com with yes. the word alien in, in the, the subject. subject and then your name and address in the body of the email. That would be it, yes. And then uh, we will pick three. That's correct. To win the alien win. Three anthology. winners. And while we're on it, this is a pretty great Halloween title. We're going to cover some Halloween titles today. But uh, Mark and I were really just plumbing through the alien anthology before the uh, the show. This is pretty sweet. Our friend Charles de Lazarica, whom we've interviewed on this show twice over the years, is the amazing DVD producer responsible for all of these mega Ridley Scott sets. And uh, he, of course, did the Alien Anthology previously on DVD and put an enormous amount of work into this set as well. This is pretty sweet. I, I can't say I really love the whole booklet concept because the, the Blu-rays sit in those little pockets on different pages of the booklet. Well, I, I kind of prefer a spindle, but that yeah. being said... Pretty amazing. It, it, it does. It does require. Some, there's something about that packaging that does require you to possibly put your fingers on the underside of yeah. the disc, which you don't want to do. But uh, it's slick looking. Yeah, it is very slick. And we took a look at the. Uh, we watched them, and uh, you know, Alien, which is the oldest one, and yeah. the one you know most likely to look dirty or grainy yeah. or scratchy or whatever. It looks just fantastic. The Absolutely detail amazing. is amazing. You, basically, here's the thing that's amazing about this set: you don't just get all four films: Alien, Aliens, Alien Cubed. That's what it always looked like to me. And Alien Resurrection. You don't just get all four of those. You get two different cuts of each one, which is amazing. You get the original theatrical version of both Alien and Aliens. And then you get the 2003 director's cut of Alien, the 1991 special edition of Aliens, which is just ghastly long, but has a really interesting prologue. Um, and then you get the theatrical version and the 2003 special edition of Alien 3, or Cubed, or whatever you want to call it, the uh, David Fincher one, which is kind of a misfire, but... He tried to fix it a little bit in the 2003 edition, not to any great effect. And then the uh, Alien Resurrection, the 1997 theatrical cut and 2003 special edition as well. You know, I have an interesting story about Alien Resurrection. Um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who directed it, uh, was at the Spirit Awards the year before. And I was covering the Spirit Awards the year before, and I had interviewed him. And uh, I was talking to him at the Spirit Awards and congratulating because it was just it just been announced. And I was said, "Wow, that's great! You got an alien film. That's really terrific." And um, in in his, you know, we were speaking in French, and then in very very broken English, he smiled and nodded and said, "Big toy." Yeah. Now that was his approach, big toy, which is sort of what the movie wound up being. Well, for David Fincher, it was a big. Pain in the you-know-what. Yes, it was. And, you know, Fincher, this was the interesting thing. Fincher only took that job after Danny Boyle had turned it down. You remember oh, that? No, and Danny Boyle would have done such an interesting job. Yeah, but, but Danny but Boyle I, just didn't want to – he didn't want to do it. But I think Danny Boyle would have gone back to the way Ridley Scott had done the original. Yeah. Very atmospheric. 
You know, because look, Danny Boyle wound up doing a sci-fi film mm-hmm. years later in, in Sunshine, which I liked a lot, even though I understand I that it's basically a ripoff of 2001 and X, Y, and Z. But what I'm saying is that Fincher was, you know, that was the one that had the original, one of the original concepts for Alien 3 was that they land on a planet made of wood. Yeah. Right? They yeah. land on a big wood planet. And somehow between that and whatever it became, Fincher literally went insane. And, and in certain interviews... Going through the through the years, he won't talk about Alien Three. The whole wow. thing was that traumatic for him. Wow! Well, wow. it was a very tortured this production. Is, this is a six disc set. That's one disc for each of the films, and two discs with special features, which are endless. There's like fifty hours of junk on here. There's no way you're ever going to get through this in a lifetime. I, seriously, there's just thousands of photographs. It's like they took the entire archives over 20th Century Fox, handed them to a team of people to just scan and digitize, and just said, "Just throw it on, put it on there." Well, the, we'll never get through it. Well, these are all these are all 4K transfers. You know, yeah. all all, the, all the films are 4K. Yeah. So they Phenomenal. look fantastic. You know, the Phenomenal. contrast is the contrast is great. The blacks are deep. The, the details unbelievable. You get you get TV specials and featurettes and endless archival documentary bits here. Uh, unused footage. Um, it, you know, it's just it just goes on and on and on. I mean, there's no reason to sell this thing anymore. You got to have it. You got to go. So basically, this is a must buy. The end. This is a it. must buy. That's it. Done. And here's the okay. thing: if uh, you email us, you don't even have to buy it. We will give it to you. Gods at digigods.com. Alien in the subject. By Thursday, midnight Pacific time. And uh, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. You know, some other Halloween stuff. Blow through this real quickly, just so you know it's out there. Uh, Scholastic Storybook Treasures has released the Halloween Stories Collection. And they always do all these real fun things for kids. Um, And this is just sort of kid-oriented stuff that's already been released, including, including... a Very Brave Witch, Where the Wild Things Are, and The Teacher from the Black Lagoon. Uh, well, it, it's not the, it's not the uh, motion picture Where the Wild correct, Things Are. Correct, correct. No, these are their, these are, those are the headliner stories. And then there are a bunch of other stories in each of these discs, like uh, By the Light of the Halloween Moon and Georgie, The Witch in the Cherry Tree, Alligators All Around, Teacher from the Black Lagoon, li- Librarian from the Black Lagoon, Gym Teacher from the Black Lagoon, Pierre, Chicken Soup with Rice. It's a lot of good stuff for kids. Not too scary. For the little kids, they'll be thrilled with it. And then we also have the Wubulous World of Dr. Seuss. There is nothing to fear in here. Three scary episodes from this absolutely nonsensical, silly, Muppety TV show. Um, the episodes are There is Nothing to Fear in Here, The Black Blutter Beast, and Norval the Great. The Black Blutter Beast, I keep looking at that and I keep wanting to say The Big Bladder Beast. Be, uh, have you mentioned we're giving away three copies of the Alien Blu-ray? I did. You know what? You could mention that another 16 times, and that's still more interesting than uh, uh, Black Bloody Bleast. I know. Other uh, Halloween titles worth mentioning, Crucible of Terror. Now that now we're getting out of the uh, the kitty stuff and into the more kind of uh, gruesome, gory uh, adult exploitation stuff. This is from Severin. This is from 1971, directed by a guy who never, to my knowledge, ever directed another movie worth a lick. Ted Hooker. Good name there, isn't it? Uh, and uh, this is... Really just one of those cheesy early 70s uh, quasi-horror films that it's not all that scary, but it's kind of nasty and creepy. So it's more, uh, if you want to make people kind of sick while they're watching it, this is a good one. This is a good one to pick. Um, but nothing nothing hugely worthwhile uh, for horror fans here, I would say. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, it's genre speaking, it's a decent title from Severin, uh, Crucible of Terror. 
And then we've also got Psychomania from Severin, which is pretty sweet. If you've never seen Psychomania, this is kind of a classic exploitation film from a year later, 1971, directed by Don Sharp. And um, this is known typically as a British zombie biker movie. If I see another British zombie I know, biker right? movie, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. George Sanders was in this. Can you believe that? George Sanders. Like, George Sanders of... You know, classic movies from the 1930s and 40s. Okay. The good old summertime. And, okay, guy's got to work. Or, um, or George Sanders from uh, All About Eve. You know, George Sanders. Guy's got to work. George Sanders, who, who was one of the uh, one of the Mr. Freezes on uh, Batman, George Sanders. He was. He was Mr. Freeze. How would you he know He and that? Otto Preminger. How would you know that? I don't know why I know that. Uh, so anyway, uh, Don Sharp is kind of a sort of a quasi legend in the exploitation world, but uh, this is uh, this is it's exactly what this is. This is a, a hippie movie with zombie bikers. It's silly, but it's actually kind of fun. Uh, we also have The Dead Outside. This is a more recent film that's kind of made uh, the rounds at horror festivals. Not bad, actually. Uh, it takes place on a Scottish farm, and it's a little bit like. Uh, 28 Days Later, kind of, on a Scottish farm, a little bit. Anyway, uh, really low budget, but decently done, made in uh, 2009. And, uh, yeah, I, I, this is from Vanguard, the people we've been doing some uh, commentaries for lately, and I think it's uh, worth checking out. I really do. It's, uh, you know, the low budget stuff is always more interesting to me than the big budget stuff because they have to find ways to cut corners and still be freaky, and sometimes it makes it even more freaky. Now, Mark, I'm going to blow your mind here with this one. We have a film that we're going to recommend for Halloween, directed by Ivan Reitman, and it's not Ghostbusters. Cannibal Girls. That's right, Cannibal Girls from Shot Factory. They went and dug up an early Ivan Reitman film from 1972. This is a movie made by the father of the guy who would eventually direct the air ups, uh, the air, uh, the the up in the air, up in the air. Thank you. I saw actually, I saw Ivan Reitman outside my office. Did you? Yes. Outside my office, there's all these lunch trucks. You know, lunch trucks are all the rage now in L.A. and New York. Right. And these lunch trucks are basically uh, roach coaches, but they're like high-end food. Yeah. And they roll up at lunchtime, and then after lunchtime, they roll away. And for some reason, Ivan Reitman was deciding which truck he wanted to have lunch at. Wow. And let me just say, Ivan Reitman? Yeah. An ugly man. <laughs> yeah, ugly certainly. Man. Certainly. Well, you know, this um, – one of the things about this movie was that it used the, the devices. It, it kind of – when it was released, it sort of exploited some of the devices used by uh, – what's his name? The old exploitation master at Columbia. Uh, Zarkov. No, no, no. The guy who would uh, make the, sheets, the seats shake and all that jazz. Oh, uh, I, I only have a documentary on him. Yeah, I And know. I cannot remember it. We're both. It is uh, William Castle. Thank you, William Castle. They, they did a bit of a William Castle device here. They'd, they'd set off a warning bell anytime a real scary scene was coming up so people would know when to close their eyes. Isn't that funny? Well, this, was, uh, this is not a completely serious gore film, but not a completely not serious gore film. Cannibal Girls, it's kind of scary, kind of funny, totally weird. Um, and uh, the best thing about it is that it stars Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin. Ivan Reitman directing Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin before SCTV or any of that. Uh, come on, check out. Eugene Levy, come on, check it out. You, don't, you can't even recognize him, can you? No, not at all. That's he, funny. He has he, a full-on fro. He's a full-on hippie, man. Full-on 70s fro. Uh, it's ex- this is from 1972. 72. Isn't that fabulous? Just a, like a decade before Ghostbusters. Amazing. And uh, then wrapping up the Halloween-y stuff, we've got uh, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. 
which, again, is not all that scary. This is from Funimation, who usually does anime stuff. Uh, it's not all that scary. It's just sort of weird. Uh, but why not? Give it a, give it a shot. It's it's um, it definitely belongs to a psychedelic brand of Japanese live action filmmaking that is really very very imbalanced. The people who make these movies are uh, are disturbed. They're very disturbed. But you know what? You'll never see anything like it. It's a two disc set, and uh, <laughs> it's, I just just no other way to describe it. If you want to have a real hoot on Halloween, go out and check out Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl, and you will laugh yourselves silly and uh, maybe shudder a little bit along the way. And then finally, my favorite. This is the Cultra Special Collector's Edition of the classic, immortal, ever memorable movie. Monster Agogo. That's right, Monster Agogo. Now, if you've never heard of Monster Agogo, this was made in 1961. Uh, this is one of the silliest, funniest, freakiest, coolest exploitation films you will ever see. It's uh, bottom line: they've mi- they've lost a spacecraft. Remember, this is before we landed a man on the moon. And uh, when the when the when the, uh, the capsule reappears, you've got this like giant freaky space monstery guy who's gone bananas. Could it? Is this an alien? Is it something that's happened to the astronaut? What's going on? Honestly, unbelievably hilarious. Uh, so you want to definitely check this out. This is a good thing to screen on uh, on Halloween. It's uh, there's an interesting history to it too, which you learn on the uh, on the DVD. And uh, with that, Mark, should we dive into some television? Oh, wait, you have to pay attention now? Yeah, you have to pay attention oh, now. Okay, in that case, or, or, or music. We could do music oh, and wait, comedy. Oh, wait, what did you say? What you want? Mark, talk about kittens. Stupid kittens. <laughs> God damn it. How I hate kittens so much and their tiny, cute, ridiculous, worthless brains. <laughs> I'm just staring at a kitten. A kitten on the cover it, of the box of Bright Red Rocket presents The Wonderful World of Kittens. There would be no reason to talk about this except for the fact that Mark has a cat fetish. It's rated C for cute. Yes. Now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, this is essentially 45, quote-unquote, delightful minutes uh, with just kittens. That's it's it. all the cute we could squeeze into a DVD. Kittens are so stupid. Uh, it's it's Look just kittens. That's Look all it is. They're ridiculous, stupid, kitteny brains. Look, here's, here's the problem with the kitten. What? You, you, you take the kitten's head. Let's say you remove the fur. Yes. And you remove the skull. And you remove all of the uh, protective layering inside the skull. Yes. There is so little room for a brain that it's obvious that kittens are worthless, tiny, brainless freaks of nature. True. And that their cuteness needs to be reckoned with violently. Yes. With cuteness. Yes. Stupid catch. God, I hate you so much. Absolutely. This has Dolby Digital sound. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Worthless cash. How I hate you. All right. Uh, let's do some concerty stuff. Music and uh, all that kind of jazz. Oh, there's your guy right there. Where do you let this guy? guy. Oh. This is, uh, well, we should probably save this for the holiday show because we are going to have a gift guide show. But you know what? I'll get into this anyway. Right now, surviving the holidays with Lewis Black. I love Lewis Black. I was listening to him this afternoon. He's so angry. Uh, Louis Black is a great way to just kill the spirit of the holidays if you want. <laughs> He's so angry and pointy. <laughs> so that's awesome. Anyway, uh, this is Louis Black just waxing completely insane on everything about the holidays. He'll take the uh, all of the reverence right out of it. 
And uh, you will thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy every single second of this. Lewis Black, just one of the greatest co- uh, comics of our day. This is from the History Channel and A&E. Uh, Kylie, Rare and Unseen. This is from the Rare and Unseen series released by Music Video Distributors, MVD or MVD Visual. And uh, anything to do with Kylie Minogue, I am all for. 100% totally on board. Uh, this is all stuff, actually, to be honest, most of which I've seen in some form before. So it's not quite Rare and Unseen, but it's rare enough. And uh, it's Kylie Minogue. What can you say? She's uh, she's the best. Uh, included here, Australian interview when she was 21 years old. Uh, rare British TV interviews from the 80s and 90s and 2000s. Um, her first ever TV appearance on London's 6 o'clock show. All what kinds time of gr- was that show on? The 6 o'clock show. 5 o'clock. Isn't that what? weird? Isn't that weird? It's great. Terrific. Mark, are you, are you, what, are you, what are you obsessed on over there? You're well, you're just, I, I, I've contributed so little to the show this week that I'm just going to surf the net. Is that what you're doing? Yes, I well, am. I was going through Halloween and stuff. Okay. No, Be- no, no, no. You do what you're doing. Take, take control with television. I'll turn television over to you in just a second then. Okay. All right? I like I know there was television. some of the concert stuff that you wanted to touch on. but uh, Eric Clapton, the 1960s Review. This also is from uh, Music Video Distributors. This is uh, just classic, rare, vintage Clapton. Uh, if you're a Clapton fan, you'll love it. If you're not, probably not so interesting. But, uh, you know, rare Clapton is, is pretty groovy because most people I know, they only know him as uh, based, you know, sort of in the 80s since. It's a younger generation now, not quite into the old stuff, those young kids. Well, here's the thing is that uh, Clapton's kind of mellowed and become kind of this elder statesman blues guy. Yeah. He doesn't shred like he used to shred. True. But he's still obviously Eric Clapton. True. Got a uh, got four discs here from America's Music Legacy. Uh, this is an ongoing series, again, also from MVD Visual. Uh, rhythm and Blues, Country and Western, Rock and Roll, and gospel, uh, really a very very brief overview in each one. This is uh, you know it's about two hours on each one of these particular unique musical um, areas. And I know you think wow two hours, but actually once you get through all of these different performances and cover all of the different uh, the different acts, it's it's done and you've barely even scratched the surface. So it's uh, it's really really good to get a sort of a, a brief cursory history of all these different musical styles. But this is not uh, authoritative by any means. But, you know, decent for the holidays. Nice little gift. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones on Blu-ray. Terrific Stones uh, performance on Blu-ray that you just got to have. This was a performance given over four nights in 1972 uh, during their Exile on Main Street concert tour. This was in uh, Texas. And uh, there's there's, uh, extra features on here of tour rehearsal and... uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, a Mick Jagger interview from uh, 2010, looking back on it. But the performances are awesome. You get Brown Sugar, Give Me Shelter, uh, You Can't Always Get What You Want, Midnight Rambler, Bye Bye Johnny. It's it's really good. And the Blu-ray is, is very decent quality. Uh, Dio, Holiday, Holy Diver Live. Yeah, Ronnie James Dio, baby. Not a fan of Dio, but... He, he, he died uh, this year. I know, I know. Rainbow in the Dark. Yeah, well, there you go. That's... Dio was one of those sort of like Black Sabbath-y, you know, yeah. really heavy metal, satanic, you know, pseudo-satanic bands. This is, uh, well, Rainbow in the Dark is on here. This was from a uh, London concert. Uh, you know, not my style, but whatever. This is a tarot woman, sign of the Southern Cross, straight through the heart, Rainbow in the Dark, like Mark just said, heaven and hell. If you're a fan of Dio, that's on Blu-ray. Awesome. And uh, nah, let's see, we'll... Uh, 
Kevin Hart. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown little man. This was on Comedy Central. We've previously talked about this on the show. This is now on Blu-ray. I don't understand why I like Kevin Hart, but I'm not quite sure what you gained from a comedy performance on Blu-ray. Nonetheless, there it is. Now, uh, Wayne, I can talk about this. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, video Games Live Level 2. Uh, recently, uh, there's been a movement to take video game music seriously. Now, of course, in the 80s when video games started, it was all beep bop boop and it was not yeah. – I mean, it was catchy, but it was just beep no, bop boop No, but now it's like scored, now like movie scores. Orchestral. Yeah. It's fully orchestral with sometimes some pretty big-name composers. Uh, at the Hollywood Bowl here in Los Angeles, they actually had an evening of video game music, and it went, went, it went, it, uh, it went great. People loved it. Yeah. Packed the house. Now, this thing here, Video Game Live Level 2 – is um, the concert event? You know, it's the first time it's been uh, on on film. Uh, there's a, a video game composer, this guy uh, Tommy Tallarico, and uh, you know it, he produced the thing and got top orchestras there and choirs from around the world. That's Games it. like now, but what's funny too is that there's actually they what they do is they take scores from older games like Mario and Zelda, and mm-hmm. they blow it out with a big orchestra. Yes. And that's fun, too. Yes. But what's also fun is hearing some of the real scores. Like, now again, as we were saying, video games nowadays, real, orchestral, big deal, no that's BS it. scores. That's it. So this is Video Games Live Level 2, a bunch of uh, bonus material also, including some footage of a private party in Japan with uh, all these great uh, game composers. And uh, it's good stuff. It's fun. Awesome. Uh, good comedy. We got a couple here that were originally from uh, Comedy Central. I think these are both really good discs, two really good comics. I do highly recommend these if you want to laugh yourself silly. Uh, Bill Burr, Let It Go. Bill Burr, Live and Uncut. Bill Burr is a really funny guy. I'm not familiar with him previously as a comic, but um, but he's good. And uh, this is uh, you know about an hour and some odd minutes long, but uh, very very uh, very sharp stand up comic, which uh, I don't you don't see much of anymore. And then even better, Donnell Rawlings from Ashy to Classy, Comedy Central Live and Uncut. Um, Donnell Rawlings is uh, is a very very funny guy. You might know him from HBO's The Wire, but uh, and some of the stuff that he did on Chappelle's show. But he is uh, this guy. This guy's the real deal. This guy just give him a, a little bit of a career in a film. He will start stealing scenes like nobody's business. Uh, so definitely check that out as well. That's, uh, that's good fun, good fun funny. And uh, finally, on the concert end of things, we have got uh, Johnny Winter live through the 80s. Mark, you a fan of Johnny Winter? I am a fan of Johnny Winter. He's a great guitarist. And uh, you know, Edgar Winter. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of Edgar Winter. Sure. And uh, they were terrific together. Yeah, well, this is uh, 18 tracks from... Uh, you know, basically mostly through the 80s. And, uh, you know, not my kind of thing, but it seems like it's Mark's kind of thing. Some of it uh, recorded in uh, Canada and Denmark and New no, Jersey. He, he, no, you know, he, he's, a, he's a super cool blues guitarist. He really is. I mean, you know, because we were talking about Eric Clapton before. Now, Winter is a little, you know, a little more rock and rolly and a little uh, dirtier than Clapton, who's very smooth. Yes. But um, Edgar Winter is, is, is terrific. He's still around. Well, speaking of guitarists, we also have Eric Sardinas and Big Motor Live. All right, now you've lost me. Yeah, I know. I'd lost me too. I, I'm not familiar with them at all, but this was uh, shot in HD. It's released in DVD. I guess it would probably look good on Blu-ray. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, this is bluesy, rock bluesy as well. I'm not familiar with uh, Eric Sardinas and Big Motor Live, but they're not bad. They're they're tight. It It fits the bill, I guess. And then finally... Live at Montreux from 1987 to 1988, Mark's favorite, the one and only Kenny G. Um, and we love Kenny G. 
because he he makes us laugh. And one of my favorite bits in any movie ever was in uh, was it the, was it Wayne's World one or two where Dana Carvey is strapped down listening to Kenny G and it's like some kind of Clockwork Orange <laughs> torture session. It's awesome. hysterical, very funny. Anyway, I, I can't stand Kenny G, but a lot of people out there love him. And uh, these are six, uh, 14 tracks, seven apiece, from 1987 to 1988. His appearance at the, uh, at the Montreux Jazz Festival, which is an awesome, awesome place. I, I'm going to have to go one of these days. I love that part of Switzerland. I really do. Very special. Yes, it is. All right, Mark, TV. What is from TV? Well, uh, wait, let's see, here's what we have on TV. Uh, we have uh, In Season. Uh, no, In Season. In Treatment, Season 2. Uh, on uh, DVD, Season 3 of the HBO series premieres uh, later in October. Now, uh, this is the show with Gabriel Byrne as a uh, therapist. And if you don't know the backstory, he, uh, he lived in Maryland, got divorced, moved to Brooklyn, rebuilding his practice. And he takes on all these uh, all these patients, and of course, every week he's got to go back to Maryland so that he can get therapy uh, via Diane Weist. So you got Gabriel Byrne, Diane Weist, good cast. Uh, this show, not a lot of action because it's basically just people talking, uh, but it's good. You know what? There's definitely some absorbing stuff in this show, and it's 35 episodes on seven discs. It's really not bad. Fabulous, fabulous. Dollhouse is the Joss Whedon series that um, you know Fox. Really tried. You know what? They really put this thing out there. And they, they marketed the hell out of this. I don't know why it didn't quite catch up. I don't know why either. You know, I, here's here's my theory. In the show, Eliza Dusku, whatever her name is, Dusku, Dusku, she plays this uh, woman named Echo, and every episode, she's sort of like another person. She takes on another persona. And I think the issue with the show was is is the person who you're supposed to be. Attaching yourself to the person whose journey you care about, you don't know her because every week she's somebody else, and I think that's kind of a problem. So uh, Fox stuck with it for 27 episodes. It came and went all in 2009, and here you have season two, a four-disc set uh, that includes uh, deleted scenes, uh, commentaries. Joss Whedon, of course, is busy working on the Avengers movie, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but here you go, Dollhouse Fans Season uh, 2. If you like it, you know where you can find it. Awesomeness. Also in the TV world, we have a, we have a Blu-ray, a thing called Mountain, uh, Blue Mountain State. Now, Blue Mountain State is a uh, – it's not really my cup of tea because uh, I don't watch a lot of Spike because I'm not, uh, I'm not a frat boy. I know somebody who's going to try and sell a show to Spike. Is that right? Yeah, it sounded like a pretty good deal. I'll tell you more about it afterwards. It's kind of top secret. <laughs> Um, so to learn about it, email us at gods@digigods.com, and Wade will give you everything you want to know. Absolutely. No, wait. Actually, that's not true. If you email us at gods@digigods.com, we might send you the Alien Anthology on Blu-ray. Put Alien in the subject line. Put your name and address in the uh, body of the email, and you may win the Alien Anthology series. Oh yes. Oh yeah. You know you love it. Anyway, Blue Mountain State is a. Uh, it's a. This is season one. You know, here's the thing. It's a Spike show, so it's uh, fairly uh, vulgar, let's just say. And it's a football comedy, so there's all sorts of girls and, you know, and, and beer and, and girls and, and beer and whatever. So, um, you know, I don't dig it because I'm not into the whole, like, you know, vulgar for the sake of being vulgar thing, although that's kind of Spike's deal. Special features include outtakes and deleted scenes and, um, you know, uh, uh, how they cast all the cheerleaders. You know, I just... Yeah, honestly, sure. Wade, whatever. I know. I feel the same way. Dog the Bounty Hunter. 
don't know what to say. I about kind of enjoy show. this show, actually. Do you really? I sort of do. I mean, they obviously edit together all the stuff that makes sense, and so that it sort of has a narrative and a flow. But you you watch all these, you know, you watch him and his his shaggy kind of heavy metal evangelical vigilante crew you know they're they're like s&m but they're also religious and they pray and then they go and kick butt and drag people back and then teach them lessons about life it's it's only only in america you could never have this show exist anywhere else well you love this show because it's 45 episodes of this uh, dvd <laughs> set hey well this has been on forever you know it's uh, this is the wild ride mega set and boy is it a wild ride yeah i actually kind of like it. you know they have a uh, dog uh, halloween costumes this year thank god that's what you're gonna go out as isn't thank it? thank god yeah well, these are 45 episodes, man. That is pretty sweet. Eight DVDs, 45 episodes. Just all dog bounty hunting up a storm. I love it. Go for it. Uh, Blu-ray. You know, Acorn Media. I don't know if this is Acorn Media's first Blu-ray, but it's certainly one of their first. Yep. This uh, is the, these, are the, these are the first two this week. This is uh, Poirot's Murder on the Orient Express. Now, of course, yep. the uh, Hercule Poirot yep. is the uh, famous Agatha Christie detective. And one of Poirot's most famous cases is Murder on the Orient Express, which has been made into a film before. This is the David Sushit series, and uh, this is the one that you want to get. This is, I mean, they don't look that great, I've got to say. The original production quality of all the Poirot stuff is not top-notch. But it looks better in Blu-ray than it does in DVD. May not be worth the price of an upgrade. I, I just you, you've been warned. But the other uh, Acorn Blu-ray this week is Slings and Arrows, the complete collection, which is uh, which actually looks better than it has any business looking. I don't know why they would necessarily select this as their other big Blu-ray foray over at uh, Acorn. Uh, Slings and Arrows is a is a good show. It is uh, it's a you know it's a Canadian series that's pretty pretty kind of amusing and interesting basically about a, a shakespearean theater troupe that um is anything but normal uh but I, again not a not like a hugely accessible show i i think it's noteworthy because it's got uh, don mckellar on it who has become kind of a a mini auteur of note you know don mckellar is a very good actor he's been in a lot of uh, adam mcgoyan films and cronenberg films but he's also a filmmaker on in his own right he co-wrote the red violin he wrote and directed Last Night, which is one of the coolest movies you'll ever see about the last night on Earth. No reason why the Earth is going away. But, you know, so he's in this. If, I guess if you have a certain yen for Canadian television and filmmaking, you'll appreciate it more. But originally shown here on the Sundance Channel, and this is the complete collection of Slings and Arrows on Blu-ray. You know, in 1988, there was a show called War of the Worlds, and uh, it came out uh, on DVD in 1988. And you know what? It took, oh, how many years for the uh, final season to come out on DVD? Well, it's available now. War of the Worlds complete first season has been out on DVD already. Now we have War of the Worlds, the final season. And, uh, you know, this show kind of came and went. I don't know that many people really heard of it or cared about it. Because, again, we're talking about, like, uh, well, this final season was uh, 89 or 90. And it's basically, you know, if not based, not specifically based on the uh, on the current on the previous properties it's certainly its own thing it's basically men and women trying to save the world from a big alien invasion that kind of thing not too distant future kind of stuff and uh you know it's a little bit of an allegory because they're dealing with the environment and you know and uh the current state of the nation and the economy and the government's all in pieces and whatever and uh so it's a pretty good show it's a little dated the, the effects are dated it's it's tv special effects that are dated which back then looks really dated but it's five discs, 20 episodes, and it stars uh, really nobody we've ever heard of unless you really, really love Adrian Paul. Oh, Adrian Paul, Highlander, the TV series. Awesome. 
the worst. More of him. It's the worst. I want more of him. Anyway, so this is uh, from the good folks at CBS DVD, War of the World's Final Ooh. Season. Finally, the second season out on DVD. It took long enough. Really? Yes. Oh! It's no, stop. What are you doing? I'm looking at things that I, know, I want. I know, I know, I know. I want them all. I know you do. But I'm going to say about, I'm going to say these fast so I can talk about <laughs> things that I want. Well, then we have some uh, listener no, mail to read, too. No, On the Road with Charles Corral said three. <laughs> Wait, I want to talk about... Every time we talk things. about Charles Corralt, we... No, um, we didn't. We talked about... Didn't he have an right? affair with some woman on the road? He had a whole other family. See? He had got, a whole other family. I know. I love making you talk about no, that. No, but, but wait. Look what's over there. <laughs> I know. I know. But in I a moment. It. In a moment. I want it. In a moment. Okay. There's a thing called Paul Dark. <laughs> Series two. He's an army officer. He does stuff. Let's no. talk about <laughs> those, way, Please. That's so good. Okay, fine. Paul Dark from, that was originally on CB, on uh, PBS and uh, based on the novels by Winston Graham. Right? You love it. Masterpiece Theater. Mark, yeah. let's talk more about Masterpiece Theater. No. Okay, I'm going to read some uh, Lister mail. No. Because we're, we're stretching it out, you know? We want to save the best to last, don't we? No. We, yeah, we do. Jason Lair writes us and says, The industry is spending bazillions to promote 3D, which to my mind is still a gimmick, albeit a rather sophisticated one. However, from everything I've read, MaxiVision 48 is the next generation in visual fidelity. A more stable picture, especially at 48 frames per second, would eliminate the strobing in panning shots and obviously acting uh, action movies. Um, would benefit enormously. I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and we've never gotten a MaxiVision movie. Why hasn't MaxiVision caught on nationally? Or what will it take for it to catch on? Thanks, as always. Love the shows. Mark, why is MaxiVision 48 not taking off? You know, MaxiVision 48 is the uh, – that's the format that Roger Ebert's been yelling and screaming about for years. Yeah. The problem with MaxiVision is that it would it, – you know, the train left the station, man. MaxiVision, they'd yeah. have to go back and, and start redoing stuff again. You know, new new projectors, new new equipment, new this, new that. And it's just – it's over, dude. It's just yeah. over. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not saying Max Division is, is better or worse than anything else. Look, ultimately, Beta was better than VHS. True. But in the end, VHS won. Exactly. And Because the train left the station and that was it. So I just don't see how Max Division is ever going to gain a foothold when there's so much agita and so much money and so much drama around switching to digital and switching to 4K and switching to 3D and all sorts of stuff. I know. You know, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, do you? No, absolutely not. Uh, stuff, maybe, maybe in 50 years, you know, when people are ready for another upgrade, they'll, be, they'll leapfrog it to something else. Yeah, but... that, that'll be like MaxiVision 96. Yes, exactly. Uh, email from uh, Stéphane Laframboise. A uh, big fan of ours in Quebec. Uh, he said, uh, guys, just wanted your opinion on this. Last night, finally bought and watched the Criterion release of Make Way for Tomorrow. I thought it was quite moving and still very relevant today. My wife thought she enjoyed the movie, uh, though she enjoyed the movie, asked me the following question. Does a movie need to be depressing or sad to be critically acclaimed? It seems to her a lot of them are. I'm not sure I entirely agree, but she pointed out examples from my movie collection, and it got me thinking. There seems to be an awful lot of heavy, dark, depressing movies in the Criterion collection. Uh, so as a movie critic, do you feel that it, uh, that it makes a movie more memorable when it is bleak and sad than it would be otherwise? Also, any cheerful or light, happy movies I could show her as part of the Criterion Library? Love the show as always. I recommended The Lady Eve to him, uh, and I think Rushmore, and there are, there are a whole bunch of really great, funny films in the Criterion Collection. Oh, yeah, A lot look, of good Preston Sturges stuff. Look, he, he, here's the thing. You know, uh, I don't know that I agree 100%. Look, Star Wars, and there's plenty of yeah. the wonderful films that are uplifting sure. and fantastic that are classics. But 
the the movies that become classics, uh, a lot of them, not all of them, are ones that really delve into the human experience. And again, if you're watching an Adam Sandler comedy, it might be funny, but it's not delving into the human experience. It, it, very true. And, and and critics tend because critics see a lot of movies and a lot of it is crap. They really tend true. to latch on to the humanist tales of you know man's foibles and yep. whatever that kind of stuff. Yep. And that's the stuff that really uh, resonates, you know. Absolutely. Because again, the more movies you watch, the the deeper your palate becomes. And uh, I think that's why you, you, you get a lot of these depressing movies being uh, very you know, true. held as classics. Uh, and John McDevitt writes, says, guys, any idea what's going on with the Sopranos Blu-ray? Season one came out last fall. Wait, no wait, wait. Wor- the Sopranos? Yes, exactly. Season one came out last fall. No word on season two. Are they waiting to release it as one big box set? Deadwood is coming out as a Blu-ray next month, which hopefully indicates HBO hasn't given up on the format. Uh, no word on it. I... I can only imagine that HBO is really trying to gauge this because HBO doesn't sort of blow out their releases every month. They have a very select handful of titles that are released every month. They know that they're, they have a competition in the marketplace, and they want to make sure that they sort of find their market when their market is ready. And my guess is that HBO's – I was thinking about this a little bit after I, I uh, answered him. Um, I'll bet HBO – really relies on the idea that their fans watch them in HD so that they don't have to buy HD. And I think they may have done some market research and found that there's not a huge market out there for uh, for HD HBO stuff. It may be a little more niche than they anticipated. It's just a, just a guess. Could be. I, I know that a lot of those HBO shows are streamable on Netflix. Yeah, see. Which might see. be part of it, too. Yeah. And then we got an absolutely excellent email from Nicholas Gordon, who's been a, uh, a listener for a long time. Really enjoyed this email. And uh, it, I, it hits a, a lot of points that Mark and I have been hitting for years in print and on podcast and on radio and on everything else. He says, Wade and Mark, I was in a real classic mood over the weekend, and I watched Blu-ray editions of The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And it occurred to me, it seems that studio executives, producers, and even directors have really turned Hollywood into a business and stopped it from being an art form. I know there's a wealth of independent movies, but back in the day, mainstream movies were so incredible. I know that comparing the classic era to modern day is unfair, but I have a hard time finding movies today that 60 years from now, people will look back and comment on how amazing they are. With this idea in my head, I further contemplated about the changing of the times. I realized the days of such directors as Steven Spielberg, Francis Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Ridley Scott, Ron Howard, and Clint Eastwood are coming to an end, if not long gone. And filling the void is McGee, Steven Summers, Michael Bay, Zack Snyder, Tony Scott, John Favreau, Chris Columbus, Roland Emmerich, and Sean Levy. My gosh, that's depressing, and he didn't even put Brett Ratner in there. Uh, the only directors in the business I have any faith in are J.J. Abrams, Brian Singer, and Chris Nolan. My question to you is, am I way out of touch and looking in the wrong places for modern quality movies, or are we indeed doomed to suffer the cinematic equivalent of ancient Troy being ravaged by the Greeks? Uh, He says, while writing this, I made an offering of milk and fresh-baked cookies. I hope my sacrifice brings brings many blessings from the digigods. Mark, feelings. Well, the the issue is that uh, the movies that are memorable that you talk about are being ghettoized. Yep. Into let's say foreign releases or uh, specialty distributors, True. Sundance pickups, that kind of stuff. The studio stuff is basically now just product. True. Big ticket product. Now some of that product is, is entertaining. Yes. Some, I, sometimes it is. I I think I, I was thinking about this just two days ago. I was having this conversation with somebody. We we're talking about what is and is not commercial, and I think. The, the idea at the studios is not that a certain movie may or may not be commercial because people want to see it. There are a lot of movies out there that they don't want to release 
that there's a huge audience for. Commercial has less to do with is there an audience for it and much more to do with how, how expensive and hard is it going to be to market it to its audience. The marketing challenge is what determines whether it's commercial or not, not whether there's an audience. And that's not really fair, but unfortunately, that's the business model that's being imposed on the studios by their corporate parents. And you know, I've told you this before. There are two things in the world I do not think should be publicly owned. Uh, and that's uh, you know by shareholders and, and that whole corporate structure so that you have quarterly earnings reports and all that mandated SEC stuff. And that's sports teams and movie studios. You know, you, you, For those to excel, you need a personal touch. You need a guy who owns a sports team who is like a Steinbrenner or a Jerry Buss who really has – or even a Mark Cuban who takes a personal interest in the team and who oversees you – know, who can connect with the players. And you sort of feel that there's a human interaction that drives the, the enterprise instead of just some number crunchers and a giant board somewhere. And I think the same thing goes for studios because you're working with artists. There was something that Ryan Kavanaugh said about a year or two ago that was, I think, kind of unwise when he said with Relativity Media, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm running a business here. I'm not here looking to make a you know, win awards or make art. Well, maybe he's not, but the people who make his movies are. And if you want them to enjoy doing what they're doing, you need to do what the studios of old did when Jack Warner and Carl Lemley and Louis B. Mayer and these guys, they would say to these artistically driven directors, I'll make you a deal. Do one for me and I'll let you do one for you. Well, it's the uh, Soderbergh uh, yeah. thing. You know, so Soderbergh used to do. Yeah. One for him, one for them. Yeah. And, but, and you keep your artists happy that way, but they're not doing that anymore. Well, because the, you know, the, the, the studios don't look, they, they don't look any farther than their next quarterly earnings exactly. report. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, and the only, long-term, the only long-term, the only long view they take on a movie is whatever revenue streams they can extrapolate down the line. Precisely. The, the DVD, the pay TV, the network deal. The, all that jazz. The, all that sort of stuff. They don't, they don't really care if it wins an Oscar. I mean, you know, that, that's the studios don't. All right. That being said. Oh, hello. Yes. No, good. Good points. But we got 15 minutes left. We're going to roll through. Oh, some great stuff. Some really great stuff. It's holiday season, and you know the good stuff's coming. Uh, the Blu-ray special edition of The Seven Samurai from the Criterion Collection is out. This is all the same jazz that was on the previous special edition of The Seven Samurai. This has been out at least five times uh, on DVD, and the, this, is, this is it. Just get it. This is it. You're, you're done. The Blu-ray of Seven Samurai, you will be happy for the rest of your life. This has particularly that great two-hour conversation from 1993 uh, between Akira Kurosawa and Nagisa Oshima. If you are a Japanese New Wave nerd like I am, you're just going to be in heaven. This is a great movie. This is one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, great essays, great everything. On Blu-ray, the black and white is spectacular, and the grain is intact. I love it on Blu-ray when you can see the grain and you just want to pull it off the screen and, and bake bread with it. I don't know about that part, but uh, I have to say that uh, that's one thing. I think we talked about this last week. That's one thing that uh, the studios are getting better at, which is not automatically eliminating grain. True. You know, sometimes the grain is because it's old, and I get that, but sometimes the grain was the choice of the DP and the director. Very true. That was their choice, was yep. to, you know, to have grain. Very true. Mark, uh, you just saw this film recently. You didn't see this in the theater. How does it play on Blu-ray? Well, uh, wait, Winter's Bone, which is on Blu-ray and DVD, you could play this thing black and white and upside down, and it is quite an experience. It's a great it is movie. so well directed by uh, Deborah Granick, who also directed Down to the Bone. She makes depressing movies with the word bone in the title. And actually, uh, Alaska, the LA Film Critics, mm-hmm. of which we are members, we gave... Um, That's right. The, the lead actress of Down to the Bone from uh, Up v- in the Air, Vera Farmiga. Vera Farmiga. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, in Down to the Bone... Um, 
this girl, Jennifer Lawrence, who's fantastic. She plays a 17-year-old girl. She lives. Her father is long gone. She lives with her mother, who's demented, her brother and sister. They live in the Ozarks. So literally, you are with these people who are just the toothless Ozarks that you just dream of. And they are all, every single last one of them, if they're not meth heads, they, they're cooking crank. They are. Like, really, they're, they're either using meth or they're dealing meth or they're baking meth or they're storing meth. But it's, it's like this disgusting hillbilly subculture where every, the, the entire economy revolves around meth. Yes. So what happens, what happens is that uh, uh, it turns out that the father has a court date. The father is long gone. The father has a court date. Girl hasn't seen the father forever. Nope. Turns out that the, uh, in order to make bail, the father put up the house as collateral. So if the Smart. 17-year-old girl cannot track down the father in a week – the court's going to take their house away. Yeah, it's just so, an awful dilemma. But what's amazing about the film, it's, you know, it's very much like, like, uh, like Heart of Darkness because you get this 17-year-old girl who's got to go through this, this Ozark community and try to find her father. And she starts to meet all the people who interacted with her father, her father's family, try to find her father. And what's amazing about the film is that it is so authentic looking. Deborah Granick, who did such a great job, she shoots it in Missouri with people who look exactly like you'd imagine these people look. And it's got a very slow, uh, it's got a very slow pace to it. Not a lot of cutting. A lot of a, a lot of just empty moments where people just kind of sort of contemplate. But it's so well done. It is so authentic looking. It, it's 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 a, just one of the best films of the year. You know what make those li- their lives better? Kittens, stupid kids. <laughs> Hang on for a second. You know uh, this DVD of kittens contains a fun musical score by the talented Mr. Brian Dewan. Yes. Can't Some, somebody just needs to go to the Ozarks and just say, forget about math. Kittens. It's, it's rated C for cute. Yes. Anyway, so Winter's Bone, it's just, I'm telling you, man, this is one of the best films of the year. Uh, you, you, you have not seen or felt anything like this film because you will feel like you are with these people. And, and not even in, in like a cinematic way, not in a phony cinematic way are you with these people. No, you, I, you, I don't feel like any of these people are actors. I feel like I was thrust into the middle of just some hillbilly crank nightmare. And I want, it, and, and as I was admiring it, at the same time I wanted to get out. It is impeccably cast, and uh, it's just I, – I literally, as Wade said, I literally saw it yesterday. Yeah. And uh, it is just great. And it's on Blu-ray. And you know what? There's not much difference between the Blu-ray and the uh, DVD, but I will say this: it's so well shot, and it's it's just you, if you can. I know it's a small release, uh, but if, if if you got the bucks, at least rent the Blu-ray. Yeah, because I totally. think you'll really appreciate it. Totally. All right. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, hello. <laughs> uh, Please give is uh, the new one from uh, Nicole Holofcener, who is a uh, terrific independent uh, director. I like her yeah. a lot. And uh, this film, I like this a lot. Did, did, did you not like this I, I like this. I do. I liked it a lot. I, I, I like all of her movies. I think they're very well written. I think the uh, – it's a really interesting – you know, her, her last film, um, uh, Friends with Money, was super, super well written. Really good characters. Very well designed. And this is an interesting bit about a couple uh, and then two sisters who are taking care of their grandmother and – it, it it gets into the interaction of these two different families, and one wants to purchase the other one's apartment, which ain't going to happen until the grandmother dies, and then there's an, there's an affair. And it all kind of centers around what we give and what we keep and what charity is in a literal and figurative way. It's a very, very smart film and, and very delicate performances. Uh, Catherine Keener is really good. Uh, Oliver Platt is terrific. And Amanda Peet, you know, people don't give her enough credit. She is a very, very good actress. But Rebecca Hall, been a big, huge fan of hers for a long time. She's getting better and better. Peter Hall's daughter, you know, the British director. Monty Hall? Exactly. <laughs> Halls of Montezuma? Yes. Speaking of war, Wade, yes. here, here's, here's what has to happen. 
I know. First of all, everybody has to go, and, and uh, if you don't win the Alien Anth- Anthology... Go buy. Go buy the Alien Anthology. Yes. But also, while you're in the store, here's what has We're to costing people a lot of money this week, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. because, you know, we got oh, this. Is what, stop. Yes. You also have to go buy uh, one of the greatest anti-war films ever made, Paths of Glory. This was uh, Stanley Kubrick's coming out party. It really was. Uh, this is with Kirk Douglas, and it's a I World mean, the, War... The, the killing yeah. was sort of a coming out party, but no, this, no, is this, also, is, this, this is this is This is, it. This is yeah. where he became... The man. The, yes. Uh, because you're a degenerate, degenerate old man. <laughs> My favorite line of Kirk Douglas is, awesome. you're a degenerate old man. Uh, World War I. I said, I said that to the guy I was buying shoes from the other day. He didn't get it. Uh, World War I, uh, Kirk Douglas, a uh, French colonel who uh, fights the army's top brass because uh, uh, his men are accused of cowardice. Is un- it, it, this is one of the few World War I movies that's ever been made. Like Steven it's, Spielberg's going to make one, but there aren't a lot of them. Well, I'll tell you, um, A Grand Illusion is another great one. Yeah. You know? So, Paths of Glory, which uh, from 1957, it's also, by the way, if you, uh, this is a famous piece of um, trivia, which I'm sure a lot, a lot of you guys know, is that in the last scene of the film, a woman sings a song. I won't give you the whole, in case you haven't seen Kubrick's it. Kubrick's wife. Wa- that woman wound up being... His Kubrick's, wife. Kubrick's wife. Yes. They wound up getting married. Uh, anyway, this Blu-ray is just fantastic, the end. Um, new audio commentary from Gary Giddens, which is very good. Excerpt from a 1966 audio interview with uh, Kubrick. You know, Kubrick on audio, Kubrick on video, very hard to find. The guy was, uh, all, all, although his family, you know, denies it, and Kubrick never thought of himself as one. Yep. Guy's kind of a recluse. He never really did a lot of uh, press. And I just want to point out, the only way this movie has previously been available, it's on DVD and Blu-ray this, this week from Criterion, but this has previously only been available as an absolutely atrocious, like, non-anamorphic DVD from uh, MGM from, like, 12 years ago. I mean, truly, it has been uh, unavailable in any acceptable format. Right. And you know what? It's, this is – so go, go to town. Beautiful black and white uh, uh, 1.66 to 1 uh, uh, transfer. Yeah. Blu-ray, great contrast in <laughs> black and white. Plaza, Plaza Glory, folks. Go buy it. The Kirk end. Douglas. Buy it. Yes. You know, Mark – what? There was uh, what, what Wade? Yes, there's there's a little there's another Blu-ray out for this week from uh, from Criterion House. Now I know what you're thinking. House, the the horror film, the the stupid little movie about the little creatures that come through the portal. Oh, with William Cat. Yeah, no, not that. Wait, wait, house. maybe it's House, the Fox show about the Doctor who also has all sorts of crazy theories. No, no, not that House. Because uh, when I first got this, I was like, oh, how's really? The horror film? Boy, they're kind of going weird. No. This is a movie I'd never even heard of before, believe it or not. And I know my movies. This is a 1977 Japanese movie by the director Nobuhiku Obayashi. I'm sure if anyone out there speaks Japanese, I've just completely offended your ears. But he made this in 1977. And it's kind of a – it's sort of a, a fusion between – it's like a transitional film between modern, weird, freaky – psycho Japanese cinema and the more classical stuff that was uh, emerging from the Japanese new wave. So it sort of, uh, he bridges two different styles of Japanese uh, filmmaking and it's kind of cool. It's a, probably a pretty good movie for, uh, for Halloween. I wouldn't say it's scary, more just weird and kind of hallucinogenic. But it's, um, it's about this little girl, or you know, not terribly little, but she and some of her classmates go to the, uh, her aunt's uh, home out in the country and they encounter all kinds of just weird, demonic, uh, ghost-like uh, encounters. And it's uh, – some of this is done 
you know, with like traditional animation. Some of it is done with very weird uh, kind of quasi animation, uh, matte work. It's it, it, there's no way that there's honestly no way to ever describe this movie. You'll be completely blown away and mystified, and it'll freak you out a little bit. But um, check it out. It's you know what I mean. It's almost like you know what it's like, Mark. Here, as I sit here struggling to describe this, Frank Zappa would have made this. <laughs> he would have. That, you know what? That's a compliment. Yeah. Frank Zappa would have made this. You know what else Frank Zappa would have done? He would have emailed gods at digigods.com to try to win the Alien Anthology. He would. He would have put Alien in the title, in the subject, and his uh, name and address in the uh, in the body of the email. That's yeah, what he would have done. He would have. And he would have gotten it to us by uh, Thursday. At midnight Pacific time. That's right. Gods at digigods.com. Uh, Mark? Oh! <laughs> If the Alien Anthology weren't the greatest thing this week, we would have been touting the 21st and anniv- 21st. <laughs> the 20 column first? 21st. The 20 21st. column first. It's because we both saw the, uh, the King's Speech, and I was... And we both loved it. We both loved it. Gosh, that's a good movie. We'll talk about that later in the year when it opens, in December. We would have been talking about the, at the top of the show, about the 25th Anniversary Trilogy edition on Blu-ray with digital copy of Back to the Future. All three movies, beautifully, gorgeously, fantabulously remastered. Uh, I don't like the ditchback packaging quite so much. I could do without it. But I'll tell you, there is some awesome stuff here. Now, forget about all the pocket blue and beady live junk and all the, all the U-control crap on here that they always throw onto these, uh, these universal DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, yeah, there's like trivia and all kinds of little pop-up um, storyboard things and, you know, all this gimmicky stuff. Forget about it. Not not worth the deal. The good stuff is uh, our, it's all the behind-the-scenes junk, which is terrific. Really awesome. Tons of behind-the-scenes stuff here. There is a six-part retrospective documentary with new interviews, and it gives – I mean, there's stuff I thought I knew about this movie. No way. No, I, no, I no, knew no. nothing about this series, all these three, all three films. You realize, you, you realize what, what other extras on this thing. They have Eric Stoltz. Yes, Playing talking. the role, yes. Playing the role, his scenes, yes, that and were I, shot. And you know, I was I was momentarily on the set. Have I talked about that on this show before? You have not. That I, when, when we snuck onto the set of Back to the Future, when they were setting up for the clock tower scene, when Eric Stoltz was still part of the cast. I, you know, what? I've known you I, for I twenty years. Sh- I don't even know that. I probably never. I probably shouldn't be talking about this. Anyway, look, go go get it. Honestly, it's just unbelievable. Look, producer Bob, producer Bob Gale was intimately involved in the mastering of this thing. 1080p. It looks great. There's you know, unreal. It's, it's crisp. The textures are great. Uh, you know, there's very little digital noise reduction uh, on there, which is nice because it's much more true to what uh, Bob Zemeckis had directed. And you know what? I'm actually one of the. I'm a contrarian here. Yeah. I like. Uh, I like uh, uh, three. I do too. It's the Western. You know, marathon. I went to the back to the back to back to back to back no, wait, to the wait, future wait, marathon. Wait. Oh wait, no wait. Three was the Western one, right? Yes. I like that one. I went to the back-to-back-to-back-to-the-future marathon when they premiered the, at midnight. Three was, the, was on. It was great. And in, in a nutshell, I once snuck onto the, uh, the Universal lot along with uh, two of my friends and Brian Burke. You know, Brian Burke who produced Cloverfield and uh, who's producing all of J.J. Abrams stuff now, including the Star Trek movie. Brian actually snookered all of us to, to drive onto the Universal lot. We said we were going to a screening in the Hitchcock Theater. The guards at the time, the pre-9-11 by a couple of decades, they're like, oh yeah, whatever. Waved us onto the lot and we walked right into the clock tower scene at about 8 o'clock at night as they were setting up. And it turns out Brian had had some bet with uh, the gaffer that he had met at a coffee shop and said he could sneak onto the set, and by golly, we did. But that was Brian Burke. 
Now, now executive producer of J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, Star Trek and all the rest of them. But of course, in 2010, Brian could have taken a, a, an iPhone photo. Yes. But in 1980-whatever, how did he prove to the gaffer he had made it onto the set? Because he walked up and he talked to him right then and there. That'll do it. That'll do it. See you next week. Next week.